Let's see. I usually have something to say. Matt, do I need to... We're good? Hey, we're even on screen number one. That's a good sign. All right. We're going to start with a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you again for this opportunity to share. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence among us. Thank you for being the spirit of truth, the counselor. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would increase your presence and your activity, even as this goes even to many nations, Lord. Just ask that you would, uh, at this time, even release the the anointing I would need to speak and to remember the things you'd have me to say, and uh, for the hearts and spirits to receive these uh, mighty seeds of encouragement and hope um, for what you're beginning to do and about to do among the nations. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, this is the final in the Seven Mountain Mandate series. And uh, we had our overview, and then we had a meeting on each one of the seven mountains. And uh, we want to welcome all those who are watching this. Some of you are watching this online right now. And this is also, some of you will be watching this in your schools of ministry, and we uh, welcome you. This is also being uh, broadcast and viewed in live at Daystar, and so welcome to everyone. And uh, this particular topic for this night, as we close this series, the Extreme World Makeover, the Seven Mountain Mandate, ultimately where it takes us to is that we begin to see an extreme world makeover. And this is uh, a subject that burns within me. This is something I do wake up a lot of nights receiving more from the Lord and hearing a lot. And and the hardest part in preparing for this message was for me to cut it down into something that's around 45 or 50 minutes because I could really uh, pull out scriptures and things that the Lord has spoke to me, visions, experiences, and, and probably stay three hours straight just speaking of dimensions of the extreme world makeover that is coming. And, um, you know, this, this concept of extreme makeover has invaded our society, our culture, and we have whatever extreme home makeover, and we have uh, every kind. Of, I don't remember the names of all of them, but there's extreme facial makeover and the extreme lose your weight in a hurry, and, and, and there is an appetite. I believe the Lord's stirring up an appetite in our, in our culture to see radical, sudden change and for it to be that part sudden, it happened quickly. So there is an appetite for some of the things that he is going to be doing across, uh, across the earth. And, uh, and I think it's, it's, uh, it really is it, it, it's going to prepare us somewhat. Uh, but we, we have no idea what's about uh, to hit us in a good way. I mean, it depends where you're at, how good a way it's going to be. And the scripture the Lord has given me, and this is where I want to take you first of all, is to Habakkuk 1.5. And this is a scripture that the Lord spoke to me personally earlier this year. And I think this, this year alone, I've had two or three people in other nations give it to me as a prophetic word. Um, and it really, really is, is something that uh, has spoken to me. Habakkuk 1.5 says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will do a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. 
And the Lord was speaking to me one night, and he says, Johnny, I know you, you think you have a lot of faith, and you believe there's a lot of change coming, and, 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 um, and you know, we were having a good conversation. He's telling me I do. He says, but what I'm about to do, what I'm going to do among the nations, even though I'm telling you this, and even though you are speaking into a lot, you are not going to believe the work I'm going to do among the nations. It is going to be such an astounding thing. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, it's not even entered into the heart of men, the things that I'm going to do in this world, on this side of eternity, and how I'm going to showcase myself. I mean, I was just feeling shock, uh, a good shock from God, just him speaking this to me. And this Habakkuk 1.5 scripture is intended to be a standalone scripture, and it also can be uh, you know, used in the context of what it comes out of. The, the, the way the Lord sets up even how Scripture continues to be alive today is there are things that can stand alone and there are things that you read in the context. In the context of it, if we had looked at the Scripture that precedes, about, precedes it, you would hear there being uh, ruing and almost complaining as to why there is no justice in the earth. And the prophet is asking, why is there no justice and why are the righteous continually surrounded by the wicked? And that's where the Lord says, look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will do a work in your days. And what I took as a promise from the Lord, because he spoke that to me, this verse, I will do a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were, though it were told you. And we are going to see such dramatic change of events we are going to see things um, accelerate in so many ways around us, and we're going to get into this uh, uh, point by point in a moment, some of it. Uh, really, we have been experiencing it. It really is. If we just look back at what's been taking place the last few years, you can look back the last seven years, the last three years, the last year, there has been a fast-forwarding of what is taking place among the nations. It's really it's happening too fast even to be able to uh, properly uh, document what is taking place among the nations. And in the household of God and the, those coming to the Lord, it is just amazing. You know, among the, the good stories are, are things such as we now have 140 million brothers and sisters in China. And, and there may be, very well may be, a, a much more numerous, strong, real church there than in the United States of America. Just things are changing. The whole dynamics, uh, demographics of spirit-filled believers, those who carry a passion for his kingdom, is changing. And it's changing in so many uh, dynamics and dimensions. But I want to take you just through a few scriptures that speak into this. And again, really, there is a hundred I could take you through. And I just had to just ask the Lord to give me a, a few for tonight. Oh, I know I did want to, in that be utterly astounded uh, what I'm going to do among the nations, I did want to read to you what came out, what came out of the, the translation, the message. And I don't often like to read the message because it makes, it changes things so much from the original, but sometimes it just says things in such a fresh way that it, it can register uh, with us better. And that very same scripture, Habakkuk 1.5, in the message says, brace yourself for shock. Something's about to take place, and you are going to find it hard to believe. It's just a way of saying it. And so this is what we're going to see, and it's specifically describing what he's going to do among the nations of the world. And we are in those days. I'm going to tell you, we are in those days. And there's Isaiah 40, 15, 
I mean, in the entire chapter of Isaiah 40 is so fantastic just to... In fact, anything from Isaiah 40 to the rest of Isaiah, if you just want to, uh, you know, just feed your spirit on what God is going to do in the coming days. You just read anywhere from Isaiah 40 all through Isaiah 66, and it just will encourage you, release new hopes into you. But it says, Surely the nations are a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust. On the scales, he weighs the islands as though they are fine dust. And what it is speaking into, it's not that he doesn't think they're important. It has to do with, he's saying, it is no big deal for me to change nations. It is no big deal for me to uh, dramatically uh, intervene and see uh, entire nations. The islands are just dust and they're a drop in the bucket that he views all the nations as just a drop in the bucket. And so I want us to just think of a God that's so large. Again, this part of this, let's magnify the Lord, Psalm 34, 3. And we see a God so magnified that he is large enough that he says, all the nations of the world, it is no big deal for me to bring radical change and transformation because they are very small compared to who I am and what I'm going to do. And then verse 4 of Isaiah uh, chapter 40 we want to look, in, and it goes into some of the dimensions again there of, of, these, of these changes. And it says, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. This is extreme world makeover. It's changing every dimension and dynamic. Every valley brought, brought, down, uh, brought up, exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places will be made straight. This is specifically what we are going to see in these seven sectors of society that we've been addressing and speaking of. We are going to see crooked places made straight. There's going to be a path prepared for the Lord to return. He's not coming back until that path prepare the way. That's the the Isaiah 40 early on is prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. He's going to come on to straight paths. So we are going to see crooked paths made straight. The mountain of government, the mountain of media, the mountain of family, the mountain of education, mountain of economy, business, the mountain of arts and entertainment, where it's celebration of arts and entertainment, the mountain of religion, worship, where the church is, the seven sectors of society, the message we've been speaking of over the last several weeks. We are going to see the intervention of the Lord, and he's coming in in a mighty way, and it's going to be an extreme world makeover. We're going to see things we've never seen before. This is Isaiah 2.2. In the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord exalted on the tops of the mountains, and nations shall flow to it. And there is, there is this aspect of Joshua 3, where the Lord tells Joshua, you're now about to enter into this new dimension of taking cities and nations. You have not been this way before. And where we're going, where the Lord is taking us as the sons and daughters of the king, we have not been there before. And so those who have an appetite, oh, it would be nice if we had a revival, you know, you can look back, whatever happened with the Moravians or with John Wesley, with Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, you can look back with, oh, it would be so good to have that kind of visitation again. Where we're going, we have not been there before. We have not seen it before. It is an extreme world makeover. It is not just revival. It is Revival of God's people is revival in certain contexts, but it is to expand the kingdom of God in dimensions and degrees that we've never seen before. So he wants our hearts and spirits to be prepared for that. And the seven mountain message becomes a template for understanding more specifically, even though there are 
many more holes to fill of revelation, many more opportunities the Lord to speak into it, but it gives us a template for understanding specifics of how he is descending with his kingdom, the kingdom that we will receive. I want to invite you also to open your Bibles, or you can look on the PowerPoint here to Haggai 2, chapter 7. And again, that scripture is so, so powerful. In the, in the verses preceding the one we're going to read there, verse 7, he, there's, there's, the language is so similar to what is being spoken even to Joshua. Uh, and there is another Joshua, and there is have courage and, and, and advance, and, and my promise is still with you. The covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, I'm still here to perform that now. That is in the verses preceding this in Haggai 2. And it says, and I will shake all nations, and they will come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This, of course, is such a powerful scripture, one I quote very often, and it's one I want us to uh, to just look into a little bit more for the next couple of moments, that he's coming to shake all nations. We see the nations being shaken already. The scripture is quoted a lot, but it's not. He didn't say, I'm coming to judge all nations even. I'm coming to shake all nations. And what's the purpose for him shaking all nations? He's coming to shake all nations so that he can reveal himself and they will come to him. He says, I will shake all nations and they will come to the desire of all nations. He calls himself the desire of all the nations. And he will fill his temple with his glory, says the Lord of hosts. That word shake, even in the original Hebrew, the word uh, there is a word meaning undulate, which is another form of shake, earthquake, but undulate sky, earth, or a field of grain, interestingly enough. You know, in the Hebrew, the words have multiple meanings, and part of the shaking, I will shake. He said, I'm coming to shake the harvest. He's going to shake the harvest. He's going to showcase himself as the desire of the nations. He's going to have people, sons and daughters, who begin to see him in the many nuances of his nature and how he is. See him not just as God the Redeemer, not just as one who provides salvation. That continues to be the best news, great news, and for what he provides for eternity. But he's also God with us, and he is the God who wants to reveal himself, and he wants to reveal the, the, the multiple facets of his faces, and we tie that into the seven spirits of God, you know, or the, or the seven colors of the rainbow, the full spectrum of who he is. He wants sons and daughters that are seeing him and have that expectation and begin activating that aspect of who he is here on planet of the earth so that we can see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And this becomes part of our mission, part of the thing that excites our spirits of what's going to take place in these coming days. And he says in this thing, the desire of all nations, the Hebrew word there for desire is kemda or something like that. My pronunciation, I'm sure, is wrong. Hebrew word kemda. And it means delight, desire, pleasant, precious, goodly. We want to see that he calls himself that. So many of God's people have this expectation. There's so much sin in the world. He's going to come and just twist everybody's arm and throw bombs at everybody and judge everybody harshly. He could have done that long time ago. If it's about playing, you know, the bully card, he can do that any moment. He just stands up on planet Earth full size and says, citizens of Earth, repent now. And they would repent if that happened. If that's all he's looking is to convince them with his sheer power, he can do that 
any time he wants. He could have done that any time he wants. He has a plan. And his plan is to win them over with his kindness. And he's going to showcase himself as the desire of the nations. There will be his righteous judgments, but most of that will be the reaping of worship of idols. And that people will be receiving what their idols can bring to them. You pray to gods of death, to demons of death, you're visited with death. It's not so much that God is saying, you naughty boys, I'm going to, you know, you naughty people, I'm coming in to do that. Not only is he coming to do it with his goodness and went over the world with his goodness and that becomes his primary objective, as it says in Romans, the kindness of God leads to repentance. But he also desires to showcase this kindness, this goodness through his sons and through his daughters. His desire to co-labor and even the righteous judgments that will come and will manifest will be in conjunction with what his sons and daughters are doing. We want to note... Because some people in, in looking at this scripture said, oh, this is speaking of when the Lord returns. The desire of the nations when the Lord returns. It doesn't say that he will come. You know, in the rapture, if you want to go there, he comes to the nations. It says, and the nations will come to the desire of the, nation, uh, to the, desire of the nations. Again, to point out that, that scripture, I'll say it one more time. I will shake all nations. They will come to the desire of the nations. This is not about him coming to them. It's about them coming to him. This is not speaking of the rapture. This is about a manifestation of him here on planet earth. That is something like has never been seen before. Now I want to invite you to look at Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to look at verse 9. The question we can ask right now is when is this extreme world makeover finished? When is it done? And we've addressed this in different ways in some of our, uh, even in the preliminary message of the seven mountains. But the simple point is what it says in Isaiah eleven nine: For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The point of it all is the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And again, we want to see this in the advanced way of understanding the knowledge of God. I've known the scripture for many, many years, and it's only become impactful for me in the last couple of years, where it's not just knowledge of salvation. Because this is when you understand the gospel of salvation. It's, oh, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Do you know about Jesus? Oh, yeah, you know about, okay. They know about him here. It's not that. It's about the many nuances, the full nuanced knowledge of God, of how he is the God of all life. How he is the God of government. He's the God of family, the God of media, God of education. Nothing is over his head. There's no new technology. It's got him all baffled. Like, man, I need to come in. I just need to bomb this place. You all are just confusing me with your advanced techniques. And I'm just going to pull my righteous ones and let's escape to heaven. This is not. This is a God who fully knows how to function in our society. And is more advanced even in technology. And he has no problem... Uh, uh, dealing with our culture and the direction it's going, and we will see manifestations of this kind of full nuanced, nuanced God. But first, his sons and daughters have to see this. We have to stop being just one-tone, one-colored manifestors of who God is. God the Redeemer, if you die tonight, do you know, you know, will you go to heaven or not? That's okay. That's one dimension, and it's an important one. But there are the full 
manifestations and dimensions of who he is. And I just repeat this over and over because in repeating it, it begins to register with our spirit. We have to see something before we can manifest it. We are image bearers. We were made in his image. But if we don't see him as this full spectrum God that answers for everything of society, if we don't see him in that way, we will not manifest a God in that way. And so therefore, the, the mission will not be finished and we will have not seen the extreme world makeover that we are going to see. Let's look at Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14. We read to you that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of, God, of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I probably should have made note of, of that, just a dimension. Well, how much knowledge of God is going to be upon, upon the earth? As the waters cover the sea. I don't know if you just stop and think for, about that for a moment. How do the waters cover the sea? In a fur, fairly thorough, 100% way. It's not, you know, hit or miss. There's not like, this is not like, well, as the islands are in the ocean. No, as the waters cover the sea, that is 100% saturated totally thoroughly. This is how the knowledge of God will fill all the earth. We have not seen anything like this. This is why I will continue to make this point, maybe irritate some people. Jesus is not coming back tonight. There is no possibility he's coming tonight. It's not because I'm saying so. There are so many things he has yet not done that he says he will do first. And when it says we don't know the hour he's coming back, it means we don't know the hour precisely when he is coming back, but we can say, uh, hello, this thing is not even three-quarters, two-thirds. I don't know what, how to quantify how, how much uh, in terms of the, the, the work that needs to be done of reformation around the world. We're not, we're not one-hundredth of the way, way there. So he's not about to come with an unfinished business like this. He's going to wrap up his movie in the way he intends to wrap up this movie. It's going to be an awesome ending. We would not believe it if it were told us. We're not prepared to expand our minds. He's, but he wants us to. That's why he tells us. He doesn't just blow us away and surprise us. He says, I'm trying to prepare you because I want you to be excited about it. I want you to be prepared to shine in the way I'm calling you to shine. But Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We make this connection between the glory of the Lord, understanding and knowing the glory of the Lord becomes this aspect of knowing the goodness of the Lord. This word glory has so many definitions and manifestations. You remember Satan, when Jesus was tempted by him in the wilderness for 40 days, said he showed him the kingdoms of this world and the glory, and their glory. There are glories of the kingdoms. There are glory of the mountains. There's the glory of government. There's the glory of creativity, the glory of education, the glory of all these sectors of society. And there will be knowledge of his glory, not just knowledge of salvation, and knowledge that they need to get right with Jesus tonight. There will be knowledge of the earth. Knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Again, that same terminology as the waters cover the sea. This is something we are not close to right now. So there is going to be radical change, transformation, extreme world makeover for us to get into this dimension. All right, now we're going to have just a little something that... Uh, you know, it's all for personal application. There's inspiration in everything I'm telling you, an impartation from that alone for your spirit to begin to, to prepare and to connect to the great thing that God is going to do. The amazing thing is that we literally, every son and daughter of the king that knows who he is in him, 
that knows your destiny, understands the call of this time and day, you are a potential equivalent of a nuclear bomb here on earth. You can be struggling paying your bills, relational difficulty. You're just hanging on. You're like, oh, man. Every word out of your mouth is negative. And yet inside of you is nuclear material. You're plutonium blooded. If you understood that. Because of Jesus, what he did, and you being a new creature in him, the new blood in him, the new blood we receive, we really are plutonium blooded, and only a few wake up to that. We know that from the scriptures. You know, there was a David. There's a whole nation scared to death of one guy who had never killed anybody. And one guy said, That guy's easy to kill. And he killed him easily with the tiny. He said, What's the smallest thing I can find here? Let me kill him with this. And he found a little. Is this the problem, everybody? He cuts his head off. He had no weapon, even. People, What? What? This is the kind of thing that's going to come up in the, in the coming days. And we will see the same effect as what David did because Saul's cowards who were hanging in the mountains became David's mighty men that could then do that easily themselves. And we're going, to, we're going to learn to switch into a new gear of life. We're going to begin to switch into our identity and understand who we are and who he is in us in this coming day. So I want to share with you three ingredients of your personal destiny. This is just something brief, but we have to connect it to this thing that's taking place in this last day. And uh, your destiny has three ingredients. If you want to look at it as, uh, I don't know, a pea pod, and there's a three peas in the pea pod. I don't know if that's a good one at all, but it, it worked for the moment. Something to help you remember, the makeup of your destiny. And the makeup of your destiny, and we can call it the IPA. You know, if those in Involved in business, you know about IPOs. Well, this is IPA, so this will help you. Uh, probably not, but it could help you. IPA. Three ingredients. Number one, your identity. Your destiny is made up of your identity, your purpose, and your assignment. And we'll just go through those one, one at a time. Your identity is you are of God. And we're going to get to the scripture on that in a moment. Your purpose is you're here for God. And your assignment is you're here to be as God. So you're of God, for God, and as God. That last one can get really controversial. But we'll see that it's, as a lot of the scripture, controversial but biblical. And so we're of God, for God, as God. If you can say to someone beside you, say, you are of God, for God, and to be as God. We're just trying to, you know, do something repetition so it sticks with you. Now we're going to go through them one by one. Identity. Remember, it's the IPA. Identity, purpose, assignment. Identity. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children. And you have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is a very well uh, rehearsed, repeated scripture, and it, it all starts out with this, this part of our destiny. It starts with identity. If you don't get the identity right, you will not get the rest of it right. And so many of God's people are trying to live out of their identity instead of out of his identity. Back to the story of David, we point out that he came in and said, I'm here representing God. The devil had convinced everybody else that they were Saul's servants. He says, you all are Saul's servants, send me a man. And they're all, as long as they believed the identity he gave them, they could not break into anything. That was, that was, that's where they lost the battle. He, he told them they were Saul's servants. If he can come in and say, citizens of Atlanta, Georgia, 
or whatever. You know, we have so many cities around here. And you live by that, then you're just puny. You are nothing. But if you are of God, little children, and you live out of that identity, all of a sudden everything change, changes. You now represent him. You now step into dimensions of him that others cannot. So you are of God, little children, have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is one way we know that the world and the world is speaking of the lusts of the world, the system that the enemy has had in place. Whatever is born of God will overcome. This is even a prophetic declaration and a prophetic obviousness. It's why we know this thing cannot end where, you know, the false prophet and the beast and the Antichrist beat up God's people so bad that Jesus feels sorry for us. Okay, I'll take you. I'm sorry. It's been bad. But now come with me and celebrate in heaven forever. I'm just going to blow. Put the blowtorch. Gabriel, Michael, get the blowtorch. Light up earth. Boom. Yeah. That's not, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. It overcomes that infrastructure system. We are born of God. We are here to manifest that on planet earth, and we will. This is proper eschatology, proper doctrine of the end times. So you have to live out of your identity. If you want to be a part of this extreme world makeover, you have to live out of that identity. You have to cease living out of any other identity other than you're of God. And that takes you to your purpose. Your purpose, Revelation 4.11, says you, speaking to the Lord, you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. So our purpose is his relational pleasure. We are of him, and we are for him. We are to be worshipers of him. And it's not some... uh, you know, egomaniac that he is, that he must have this from us. He is the only perfect relational being on the planet. He is love. It is his desire to showcase, to give us, to manifest this aspect of his love, of his tenderness, of his humility, of his forgiveness. And so he wants interaction at this level. And so we were created for relational purposes. He already had the angels. There's probably billions and billions of angels. We may find out that there's, you know, a hundred times more angels than there are people. It wasn't like, well, there's only seven angels and so he needed some people. He's lonely. No, there was, there was something. He made us in a unique way so that we could be ones that had this kind of relational intimacy with God. So we were made. Our purpose is for him. So we got to get that. We are, we're of him and we're made for him. Let's go then. Our assignment comes out of that. You will mess up on your assignment if you don't start with these two. 1 John 5, 17 says, Because as he is, so are we in this world. John 12, 36 says, That you may be children of light. We could add many more scriptures, but we want you to get, again, the full significance of what he's saying is, As he is, so are we in this world. We're saying our assignment is to be as God. As he is, so does the scripture say that or not? So we're not adding anything to it by saying that. As he is, so are we in this world. We are to carry so much of him, so much of his image, and we are to manifest that, reflect that here in society, that we may be children of light. He openly declares that I am the light of the world, 
And he says, you be my children. You be the light of the world. And we'll see a couple of scriptures that connect us to that even more. But we want to we begin to see that he has this desire. And in his plan, he is going to manifest his great power, this great societal reformation, transformation, extreme world makeover. He is going to do this through his kids. This is the point. It's not all just going to happen the millennium, in the millennium. Anything we don't have faith to believe, it's in the millennium. He really couldn't do it with us. We're a bunch of losers. and no, As long as you stay in the loserville stuff, that is. We are of God, little children. That which is of God will overcome the world. And he will raise up a, a, new, a new spirit. And we will begin to understand who we are called, who we are, what we are called to do in this world. And we are to be light in this world. We are to be as he is in this world. So one more time on that. Identity, purpose, assignment. Your IPA, that is what your destiny is made of. And so the, the specifics of your assignment, of course, are another level and part of even the purpose of this whole series on the seven mountains. As we go mountain by mountain, as something begins to rise and burn in your spirit, you begin to realize that you have a call, a drawing, an inclination to that specific mountain that you're supposed to show up in some way on that mountain, allow God to use you and take you. And in many cases, it's several mountains, multiple mountains. And the higher you go up the mountains, the more mountains you interact with. Some people, I continually get that question, can you be in more than one mountain? Yes. And the further up a mountain you are taken in the favor, that favor will begin to connect you with more mountains also. So we want to go through the three stages of extreme makeover that are coming. And these have already begun, and we'll, we'll give a timetable to that also. The three stages of extreme makeover of the world, extreme makeover. Number one is awake. It's out of Isaiah 52.1. Number two, arise, out of Isaiah 61. Number three, shine, Isaiah 61. We're going to break down the three of them and put dates with them as the Lord has uh, shown me. And I'm just going to share again. I don't have full revelation. He's already told me all the stuff he has shown me that I would not even believe what he's going to do. So it's going to be so far beyond what I can see. But I just want to share into the things that the Lord has shared shared with me. So awake, arise, shine. And uh, let's look at the great awakening first. A great awakening. So awake is first, and Isaiah 52, 1 says, awake, awake. Then he goes on, O Zion, wear thy beauty and your strength again. But this is a word that in the Hebrew means to open your eyes, among other things. It should not be a big uh, surprise to us that awake means open your eyes, but there is a spiritual connotation for us. Awake, awake, open your eyes. This is something... Lord has shown me that began in, in a new way. We're always speaking of a great awakening and tying into great awakenings that have happened before. But this great awakening I am speaking to you is something that started on September 29, 2008. Rosh Hashanah, the first day in the Hebrew calendar. And again, it becomes difficult even to share the dimensions of the extreme world change makeover that's going to happen without speaking about Israel. Because Israel is going to be a major uh, players is just too limited even to 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 put uh, to 
properly place value on because Israel will be the anvil upon which all the nations of the world's destiny will be made. It will be beaten around their understanding of Israel's place in, in the coming uh, picture of what God is going to do. And again, that would take me maybe another hour to add to that. So we'll just make the statement that there, there is a reason why Rosh Hashanah dates, the first day in the Hebrew calendar, will continue to be important. That it's just one of the signs of the Lord that the Lord is, is using that he is, is uh, very much still following the Hebrew uh, calendar, if you will. And again, I would like to go into that in more, more detail. But on that day... The Dow Jones dropped a record 777.7, marking the beginning of a seven-year great progression. And again, there was an experience I've shared with you in the local church here. The Lord woke me up in, in uh, December of, uh, of 2008, and it was at 3.43 in the morning. And he led me to Psalm 34.3, and he said, oh, ma-, you know, says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. If you add verse 4 there, the Lord said, my people have been magnifying their doubts, their fears, their reports in the media, they've been magnifying everything but me, and I'm very large in this time and season. You're not about to enter the Great Depression. It's not about to be the Great Tribulation. It's the beginning of the Great Progression. My kingdom is coming in a mighty way. And I have, and there was part of the Lord sharing with me, he says, I have over a quadrillion dollars of resources in this season to share with my Josephs. And there is what it took to be a Joseph, and out of that came the book, The Seven Mountain Mantle. But there are this is all tied into a dream, these three stages of awake, arise, shine, the awakening, the arising, of the sh- and the shining, a dream that I had, uh, and in this, in this dream, I saw the seven mountains, and the seven mountains, uh, they were just, they were dark, and, and it was really a simple, a simple dream, and the Lord gave me understanding with the picture of what I was seeing, and, and, and most of God's people, they were, they were as lights, there were little lights in the bottom of the mountains, it just looked like ants, but they were glowing, uh, you know, like uh, just glowing. I don't know how to say, it, but glowing ants. But most of the, hanging on the bottom of the mountains, and just you know, a few, just a, a straggling ant here or there that was in the, in one of the mountains of influence. And and the Lord showed me that beginning in two thousand eight, there was an awakening that these millions and millions of ants, as it were, at the bottom, God's people at the bottom of the mountain, like ants. He was beginning to wake them up. And this seven mountain message becomes a clarion call. It is, it is a message of God into the nations. And it really has been amazing in the last two years how this message has, has exploded, has gone Holy Spirit viral. And it's going to continue to do so because it begins to give dimensions of how the kingdom of God is coming. Many people were preaching the kingdom of God but not understanding the depth of, of how encompassing, all encompassing of nations this was going to be. So he says, I'm beginning to awaken my people. So your eyes begun to open and we're awakening, not just in general, let's awaken to the Lord, but it's awakening to the dimensions of what he's going to do and what he's inviting us to be a part of. That's the awakening. The awakening is to the full scale mission. And most of us and those who have not been exposed to this message, those who have not gotten or received the Holy Spirit virus, uh, this Holy Spirit virus and understanding this message, whether it's called the seven mountain message or not, they live in a, in a, in a, a sleeping state, uh, a, a stupor of some kind, 
And I don't want, it's not about insulting, but it's the enemy has worked into our seminaries and eschatology and doctrines that have come out into uh, having a people of God who have very low expectation. We're just hanging around. Let's just, you know, don't, don't, don't think you can get much done. It, this world is in trouble. It's going to get worse and worse. And, and we're just waiting. Hopefully, you know, some, soon things get bad. They're getting so bad that Jesus must be right around the corner because they can't get much worse. And so surely he's about to, and he's going to, and it's all, we're going to be with Jesus, and it's all better, and oh, yay, and that's the message. And it, we have people sleeping while the darkness continues to penetrate all the mountains, and then we're going to, but that's how it's been. But the great awakening is coming. It has begun. And in this vision, I saw that in 2008, he began awakening his troops. And part of this whole, the tie-in with the Dow Jones dropping 777.7 is that mammon has put to sleep many of God's people, and particularly in this nation. We've sent so many to the nations, but it began God's assault against the mammon tie that his people have had. It's not so much about him judging the nations. This is about weaning us from mammon. This is the seven-year... Uh, the, the, the focus even of this whole seven-year period from 2008, 2015 is weaning God's people, him weaning his sons and daughters from mammon and putting them on in God we trust for real. What is in our very dollar bill in this nation of the United States, in God we trust, it's the Psalm 34, 3, oh, magnify the Lord, let us exalt his name together where we live out of that expectation, expectancy, and relationship. So 2012, I saw... The beginning of the great arising. That's the second part, arise. In 2012, there was now thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of these people that look like ants now beginning to just climb up every one of the mountains. It was just thousands and thousands of these little glowing people. The great arising begins. So many of you uh, have been in this preparation. It's been intense. It's been rough. And uh, there, but we will see that beginning Rosh Hashanah 2012, the Hebrew calendar there sometime between September and October, we will begin to see a shift. And where we see, you know, there's the early arisers always, and we already see these, and we're in touch with many of these among the nations. There's maybe 5 to 10% of God's people that are the early arisers, as it were. There's always the first fruit harvest, and those who are beginning to climb up and be in these positions of influence because we're going to have to fill the mountains with sons and daughters of the king who are, you know, the wisdom of mount climbing is being roped to someone else so you're not alone. It's not just that we need a few heroes. We don't, wouldn't it be neat if we had a spirit-filled believer president of night? No, we need the whole infrastructure there. One person cannot hold that mountain. We have to displace the enemy, and we have to be, yeah, we have to be president, Supreme Court, congressmen, senators, uh, the janitors of the senators and congressmen house, the chauffeurs, the, the, the assessors, the, the, the accountants, the assistants, the advisors. Every level, top, bottom of the mountain has to be filled with sons and daughters of the king. That's just speaking of the mountain of, of government. And we will see that in the coming days. Amen. This great arising of 2012, uh, I'll read the scripture here, Isaiah 61 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness to people, but the Lord shall be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. 
That, of course, becomes my favorite scripture I'm saying all the time while I'm here. But this great arising, after you've awakened, you arise. You awaken, your eyes open. This is the purpose of a seven mountain message. Open the eyes. See things in a different way. Transformation comes, according to Romans 12, 2, when our mind is renewed. When we, oh my goodness, I just saw something I didn't see before, so now I think differently. This is what the purpose of that, and then it begins this thing called an arising, a great arising. My friend, prophet Bob Hartley, he saw, I believe if I'm repeating it right, this same thing of the nations being invaded by sons and daughters of the king. And he saw that there were going to be 50 million reformers. The Lord showed him these Josephs, these future Josephs, and Nehemiahs and Esthers and Daniels, that there would be 50 million of them that would awake and begin to arise. And so uh, I think that is just awesome. And I believe he saw that same timetable of 2012. And I think he got his from a visitation either of the Lord or an angel and received that. But a great arising. And it's arise, shine. And, And you know, there's, I think, a song by Jake Hamilton, and it's a song we have sung here. Uh, Arise, shine, your light is come. Let's see. Child, wake up, child, it's your time to shine. I keep forgetting those words. And some people have been offended by that. Wake up, child, it's your time to shine. You were born for such a time as this. It's like, wait, wait, no, it's about Jesus shining. He didn't say, I'm going to arise and shine. He said, you arise and shine. You awake, you arise, you shine, for your light has come. He wants the children of light to be the ones doing this magnificent work in these last days. He will be releasing all the heavy bombing from heaven with his angels, his presence, his power, but he wants to show Satan something, that he has sons and daughters who understand him enough, understand his heart enough, understand his image enough that they will not put up with him continuing to do what he does here on planet earth. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. It's not, it's risen upon me. Jesus saying, you know, I'm going to rise and shine at the end days. No, you arise, you shine. You awake, you arise, you shine. Behold, the darkness will cover the earth. That word darkness, the Hebrew word for it, it means misery. It means all kinds of difficulty, trouble, miseries, and deep darkness to people is gloom. So you have misery and problems and gloom. There's been the gloom that has been released even upon the sons and daughters of the king. Many of God's children are suffering greatly from doom, the deep darkness that's upon the earth. And they've read the signs wrong. They're saying, oh, deep darkness, the gloom is upon us. Jesus is about to return. I hate to keep hitting this point, but you have to keep hitting the point until you bust the point. Deep darkness, but the Lord shall be seen upon you. It's not but the Lord shall be seen. The Lord shall be seen upon you. This is the exciting message of the last days. Not that he's coming, but he's coming upon you. Yeah, it would be exciting if he's coming, but he's like, his excitement is, I'm coming on you. I'm coming on you. That's how I'm going to do this thing. You shine. You arise. It's your time to shine. We go, wait, wait, the glory's supposed to give, come to the Lord. Of course you give the glory to the Lord. If he hasn't shown on you, you have no glory to give him. You ever think about that? I give the glory to God. There's nothing you have to give glory of because you hadn't let him shine on you yet. You got to have some shining on you before you can give him some glory. You know, we cast our crowns there. If we got no crowns, there's nothing to cast. We're casting dirty shoes. We cast our crowns. There's something he's allowed us to do. All right, I got to stop that. 
But the Lord shall be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I don't know. We got to get the dimensions of this. This is not so people just can get saved. He says, there is going to be so much light on you, people, on you, my sons, my daughters, that nations will function by that light. This is not just salvation. This is enough so that nations can function. And kings, and that word melech, kings, in the Hebrew, means those who rule. Those who rule, prime ministers, presidents, king, will come to the brightness of your rising. They will say, like Pharaoh said to Joseph, surely the spirit of the Most High God is in you. Whatever you say, we're going to do. That is in our future. The extreme world makeover, we'll see that in multiple nations. All right, part three, the arising. Rosh Hashanah, 2012. No, I'm, I'm not done there yet. Okay, we're still in part two. <laughs> this is to further go into your spirit. Rosh Hashanah 2012 is when we will see something. And there may be some, some world event that will take place on that day. It will say, oh, it's time for the next stage. Something will spur us, stir us to arise. But that word in the original uh, Hebrew, I love the Hebrew because it has so many words it fits in there. So these are things that arise means. It means accomplish times be clear. If you don't understand that. That's something that comes out of the strongs. But when you accomplish times, be clear. You're going to accomplish something because you're going to be clear in what you're accomplishing. And that's what's happening. Arise means confirm, decree, get up, make good, ordain, perform, set up, succeed, be an uprising. So I prophesy that into you. Anybody who's listening, confirm, decree, get up, make good, ordain, perform, set up, succeed, be an uprising. Go ahead and be the early risers on that. Amen. Many, many thousands will begin to arise on the mountains with great faith and purpose. Stage number three. Remember, it's awake, arise, shine. It's an awakening, an arising, arising and a shining. A great shining. Second word there in Isaiah 60, verse 1. Shine. To be or make luminous, to set on fire, to be glorious. That's what that word means. Arise, shine, be luminous, be set on fire, set others on fire, be glorious. And Rosh Hashanah 2015 will signal the beginning of enough light on us, he being the light on us, that nations will begin to operate on our light. It doesn't mean it's over then. Scripture does say in the New Testament that when he comes like this, he's going to do a quick work. And we don't know what the quick work will be. That doesn't, you know, that's not for us to, to, to worry about whether the quick work is another 100 years or five years or whatever it is. I don't know how to put the dimensions, but it's going to be something uh, that's going to come as a tsunami. That's part of the first book I wrote. The Lord showed me. It was the first chapter of the Seven Mountain Prophecy. Tsunami. He would come. He would shake everything that can be shaken and he will arise the tsunami will be a good tsunami it will be god's sons and daughters this is what we will begin to see in 2012 the arising will be god's sons and daughters and you can vision a tsunami of god's people understanding who they are what their assignment is what they're called to do how they're to arise and they will shake off old identity they will be of god they will be for god they will be as god and they will change the world in every conceivable way possible. And the Lord will enjoy watching this. And he will enjoy watching Satan be crushed under our feet. 
The God of peace will soon, will quickly crush Satan under our feet. When it says that in the New Testament, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan, it's obviously over 2,000 years. Oh, well, that went too soon. No, that word soon is will quickly. When he comes to do it, he will quickly do it. When we wake up, we have, again, we have a plutonium-based army. We are full of nuclear bombs from heaven. And when we wake up to what we're called to do, and we are no longer deceived even internally by false doctrines, expectations, perspectives of the end times, we will begin to arise as we're supposed to. And I believe Rosh Hashanah 2015, there will something, I see it even as I speak, everything's shaking. Uh, it's going to be a great earthquake, and I don't know if it'll, as a sign, if there is a great earthquake physically that day, let it be a sign that we have entered into this time where the great shining. This is in the vision I now saw. God's people no longer just climbing the mountains, but there was a pooling of thousands of God's people on each one of the tops of the mountains, now bringing the light to the structures and changing structures, reforming structures of nations and society. Of course, this is all impossible without him. The whole mission is impossible. He will provide the great empowerment, the angels, and all that. This is not something we are going to perform in the strength of our own mind, but we will begin. It's not 2015 that it's all done, but this is where we'll begin to see. It'll be reports of this entire nation seems to be operating under the light of the sons of God, and that will increase and increase, and I believe we will see at least 153 nations that will be sheep nations. And, you know, on that, before I go into that... uh, uh, the, the sheep nations thing, there, is things, there are things that have been taking place even in these seven-year sequences. And we're in this very, very key seven-year sequence of 2008, 2015. You go back, you go back to 1994, Father's Day 1994, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit broke out in Toronto. And, and, and that, that has affected, it says over, it said that over 50,000 Pastors who were thinking about quitting worldwide were revived by what took place there. And we are still seeing the fruit of that and the several multiple years of the even millions that were touched from that release of the Holy Spirit on Father's Day. You go seven years later, right around the time of Rosh Hashanah, 911. The world has changed forever since 911. I think everybody who's lived long enough and understands. Uh, is not so young not to remember how things were before 911 and after 911. A whole new world uh, came upon us starting 911. And then 2008, Rosh Hashanah, seven years later, the day the Dow Jones dropped 777, the whole economy of the world has changed, a whole different season. He is shaking. He is shaking so that the desire of the nations can be revealed, but he's going to reveal himself through his sons, and through his daughters, and it's going to be an awesome delight for him. Okay, this idea of sheep nations, Matthew 25, 32, and 33 says, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. So we want to just introduce what could be, again, uh, something much longer, but this idea of sheep nations, that he will gather nations, and he'll say, you have been operating under the light of the sons of God. You are a sheep nation. Here, the sons stayed asleep. 
They just believe Jesus was going to come and solve this whole thing. They're waiting for him to arise. Even though I say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Even though creation groans and travails, waiting for the manifestation of these awakened ones. Because the sons and daughters did not awaken in that nation, that is a goat nation. Because the children of the king did not awake. So it's awake, arise, shine. Not just something cool, but there's a mandate that will affect whether our nations, our entire nations, become what they're supposed to become. Every nation has a potential destiny of being a sheep nation. There is no nation that has to be a goat nation. There is no nation that I believe, I don't, I don't believe that there's any nation that God has said, uh, you know what, these, I want them to be bad forever, so just go ahead and put, you know, Iran, Russia, uh, Afghanistan, these are just, uh, you know, they're goat nations, so check them, just put them down, they're going to be terrible forever. No. He said, Israel, you are my firstborn nation. Israel is my firstborn. He calls Israel as a nation that in Exodus. And he has a principle of first fruit. If the first fruit is holy, then the whole lump is holy. He's going for all the nations. Psalms 2.8, ask of me the nations for an inheritance and I will give them to you. He has asked the Father for the nations. All the nations potentially can come and serve him. That's what I have faith with and there's no reason to say any nation can't. And any prophetic word out there that says any nation can't, I tell you that is not a true word. Every nation, I'm hearing the Lord say that, there is no nation that I cannot redeem. There is no nation that is so broken, so dark, that I cannot go after them and restore it and call forth its sheep destiny. All right. Very close to closing, the shining ones. Romans eight nineteen. the scripture I just said. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the children of God. Depending what version of the Bible, exactly what it says there. But the earnest expectation of the creation, that which was created. And again, that whole chapter is just so uh, full of truth and we don't have the time to go into it all. But the earnest expectation, and it goes on to say it's groaning and travailing waiting, desiring, looking for the manifestation of these sons and daughters of the king because they, they will be restored by the glorious, they will attain to the glorious liberty of the sons and daughters of the kings, what it says there. And we have this idea, you know, creation, if we have an idea of all of creation having any connection in this way, once we understand that creation was made with Papa's DNA and there is still, there's aspects of him and everything that is on this planet. And that they, this, this, this thing called creation, everything he has made here, understands the storyline. Understands that before Jesus comes back, the sons and daughters are going to awake. And then they're going to rise and then they're going to shine. So creation itself is not groaning, when's Jesus coming back? We got a lot of the church saying that, when's Jesus coming back? But creation is smarter than most of church. Creation, that's not the next step. Before he comes back, there is a great revealing of the children of God. That word revealing, acaluptis. Acalupto. In Spanish, apocalipsis is the same word for, well, you understand, apocalypse. The book of Revelation is called that in Spanish. The revealing. It's the opening, the revealing the light shining, it's the shining of the children of God. That is what creation 
is waiting for. The full discovering that these who understand their identity will step into their destiny. And in their destiny, they'll discover the fullness of their IPA, their identity, their purpose, and their assignment. And they will live and understand they are of God. They are for God. And when they operate out of that, they will manifest as God here on earth. Not in a, I decide I'm God. It's not any kind of, you know, egomaniac kind of thing at all. It's a people that are so in tune, sons and daughters of the king that are so in tune with their papa and what he's doing that they operate out of that dimension. The amazing dynamic, if we call it dynamic of these last days that we're going to see, these coming last days, is that it's going to look more and more like God is absolutely sovereign. It's going to look more and more like he is in charge of every detail. The knowledge of God will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. And that will simultaneously be true that we will see this manifestation. Oh my goodness, it looks like God is in charge of everything, every detail. It'll look more and more like that. There will not be discussion of, well, is there a God or not God? It will be, there is definitely a God. The question is, are you going to bow or not bow? That will be the question of the last, uh, last days. But the amazing thing, God will actually pull back from his own personal interaction in the affairs of man. He will pull back his light and he'll allow the light that operates, we will be the light of the world. And he will operate as sovereign God, but out of relationship with his sons and daughters. And they're going to say what they said about Jesus in Matthew 9, 8, when he manifested the power of God, the powers of the ages to come, he manifested on the earth. says, now when multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. That's what they were marveling. Oh my goodness, God has given such power to men. This will be what, will, what it will look like in the coming years. It will simultaneously look like he is very sovereign in charge, but they will say, oh my goodness, that guy made a, he decreed something, declared something, and it happened immediately. He called judgment on something. He called blessing on something. We will operate in such union and closeness and intimacy with our God, with our Father, that the people, the multitudes, will marvel and glorify God. That means it was a good thing that's taking place. And so we want to, the focus is not about releasing judgments. It's about releasing blessings and people and the kindness and glory of God winning people over. But I'm going to say the scripture one more time. When the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. You arise, you shine because of what he's going to do through you in these last days. Okay, the shining ones. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the children of God. Daniel 12.3. Speaking some aspect of the last days. Those who are wise. And I put in parentheses the seeing ones. Shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness. Like stars forever and ever. These who awake. These who see will shine like the brightness of the sun. It's what it's talking about, the brightness of the firmament, the skyline brought on by the sun. These will be the enlightened ones, not in some proudful way, but these will just be those who understand Papa's heart and his desire to showcase his presence, his glory, for there to be the whole earth filled with the knowledge of God. They will shine like the brightness of the sun. Has that happened yet? i got to just keep hitting this point again. Then he's not about to come. We have not seen those who shine as the brightness of the sun that change every 
dimension. He in us. Just like you enjoy doing things and watching your kids go further than you and doing more. That's why Jesus said, the works that I do in greater, you're going to do. I'm paying the price so that you can do it. I'm going, you cannot pay the price. I'm the only one that can be the righteous lamb. I'm paying the price. I'm going to go to the Father. He's going to pour out of the Holy Spirit on you. You will shine. You will awake. You will rise. You will shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Last point. Most of this comes out of you can read more on this on the book, The Seven Mountain Mantle, but it says, I just had to say that prophetic line, all nations came to Joseph. It's the end of the story of Joseph, who was awakened by the dreams of God for society. And he's given this coat of many color, the seven mountain mantle, as I call it in the book. And he's raised to this position of leadership, a person who understands the heart of God. And there was a great famine. There was great lack. The systems of this world had failed. They had failed the systems of this world. And so in Joseph, even Pharaoh said, oh my goodness, this guy carries the spirit of the living God. And he changed his name to Japhat Panea, something. I can't remember even how to say it. But it means savior of the age. The world recognized that there was so much light on him that he had saved the age. And it said, so all nations came to Joseph. There will be a Joseph people. These 50 million reformers will be those who have awakened, who have arisen, who are shining. They're not like the 10 who are asleep in wrong eschatology, wrong concepts of God. The invitation is to everyone. And we will see the most radical changes coming upon the face of the earth in these coming years. And we're in that season. It's happening. It's been happening. It's going to happen more. I'm going to invite you to stand with me now. I went a few minutes past what I wanted to. But I think exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And and, uh, I want to uh, not just do a prayer tonight as we close this. I don't think I've blown my shofar yet. I want to be able to blow my shofar. Blowing the shofar, it's the, you know, the biblical trumpet, what was used in the scriptures. They would get the horn of a mountain sheep, and that's uh, what Gideon, and in battle time, that's, that's still what happens in Israel now is the blowing of the shofar. And part of it is to connect us and remind us of the place Israel will have because there will be a, centra- a centrality of Israel and the redemption restoration of Israel uh, in this whole, uh, this whole process. And it's almost, it, 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 we're almost not doing this story, even this message on the extreme world makeover justice without mentioning the role of Israel. But it declares the battle is the Lord. It was Gideon. He only needed 300. And there were hundreds of thousands of the Midianites. And they were defeated. They were killed by the sons and daughters of the king that awakened. And it's not because we're going to develop so much intelligence of our own, so much might and strategy. But we will be so obedient, we will be enabled by the power of God. And we will be uh, operating under this measure of the Holy Spirit that will be increased to us. And so I want to blow the shofar, and and just to release something new into your spirits. Every time I blow the shofar under instruction of the Lord, there is an opening of the heavens, spiritual heavens as it it were. And many times there's literal things uh, that take place. We won't go into that right now, but we're going to believe the Lord even 
caused this message everywhere it's being listened to, everywhere it's declared, every nation that the sound of this shofar goes, even through these various schools of ministry. I'm believing that that, that sound, the sound of heaven, will begin to activate even, the, even these, these things into that, that nation. And uh, I believe that. So, uh, Daniel, if you come up here, and I'm going to get my shofar here. And in a minute, if you'll just hold the microphone for me. But I want to uh, blow the shofar. And I believe the Lord's already been doing this through this message. But it's, as it were, this spirit of Caleb, this, this spirit David. There's so many people in the scriptures we could say that understood uh, their identity, their purpose, their assignment. There's something of an awakening. Uh, and the thing I'm most aware of and almost saddened by as I travel, even the globe is how God's people don't understand how he sees them. He's not looking to judge them. He's not looking, you naughty person, look what you did. You, you yelled at your husband, you yelled at your kids, and you didn't do this, and you didn't that. He is looking for opportunities to endorse you and bless you. He is not looking for how you don't measure up. And he's saying, you're of me. Live out of that dimension. You're for me, and you can live as me. And so, we have this, I'm going to say it one more time to register, there is plutonium. Just as I speak, I see this in the spirit. In every one of you who are sons and daughters of the king, there's his plutonium. There is this potential to be a nuclear weapon in the spirit for your nations, for your city, for your regions. And I'm going to call that forth as I blow, as I blow this shofar to an activation of your divine plutonium so you will know who you are and begin to operate in a different level. So if you just raise your hands Right now, close your eyes. I'm going to blow the shofar. Amen. (laughs) 